a reason. If somebody on your job or somebody at school or somebody out here in public asks you about Jesus or what you think about Jesus or why are you raising your family the way you are raising them? Why you love your wife the way you love your wife? Uh, why are you so faithful to your husband? Why are you this or why are you that? What kind of answer would you give them? And, and I hope in some kind of way you could give them not just your opinion, but a biblical answer. A biblical answer. That somehow it would be foundationally found in Scripture. Other than just your opinion. Understand this principle about the Word of God. God's Word said His Word will not return to Him void. It will accomplish what He desires. See, God could care less about your opinion. He's not going to reinforce your opinion. It's just that, your opinion. But when it's his word and it comes from his word, God becomes obligated to bring that word to light and the truth of that word that the person can truly understand truth and not just some wishy-washy stuff. So we should always be ready to give an answer of why we serve the Lord, why we love the Lord. And somehow he's in that. He's in that. He's in that. And the heart has to be prepared by him to be able to give an answer. If you're not in his word, you don't really have an answer. If you don't have something in here about the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have an answer. You have an opinion, but not really an answer from the scripture. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you that, Lord, you always equip us to be able, O oh God, to speak to individuals who ask why we live the way we live and the things that we do. And, Lord, it truly is all about you. It's about glorifying you. Whether if I'm at work, whether I'm in the home, in the marketplace, or just taking a walk down the street. If someone asks that we would be ready to give them an answer that would somehow, Lord, drive them to go to Scripture to see if it's so. Help us to be a people who are able to speak your word, to be able to help others, O oh God, to know that there is a sure hope in Jesus Christ, and that, Lord, 
you really do have a specific plan for men and women and children to live out. Lord, we're your people. We've been called by your name. Help us to honor your name and glorify you in all that we do. For whether we eat or drink or play or whatever we're doing, may it be done in such a way that Jesus Christ is glorified. And Lord, we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Ah, well, we started on this new topic, the Holy Spirit, two weeks ago. And we're going to continue on with that. What is the job of a pastor at times? A pastor's job is not just to feed you facts or information. A pastor's job is not to make you feel good about yourself. A pastor's job is not to really tell you good stories. A pastor's job is to preach this word and what's in the word of God whether you believe it or don't believe it. But one of the central things about a pastor's job is this, is to cause those who will give ear to what is being said to think. To think. Dr. Sovine, our, my professor in sermon preparation, used to say, if people left your church without thinking about what you said, you really said nothing. Now think about that. If you get up and you can leave without thinking about what's been said, I really said nothing. And what I want to do is cause you to think. And this morning we're going to have to do that a little bit. Because we're going to be talking about Jesus Christ. And the role that the Holy Spirit plays in the life of Christ. Now, we all say, and I think we all agree, that Jesus Christ is our example in everything. Are we agreeable so far? That he sets the example for us in everything? If he sets the example for us in everything, does he also set the example for us in being led by the Holy Spirit? The mind says, because Jesus Christ is God, that the Holy Spirit is always with him. And this is going to be the difficult part in our thinking today. Is to, one sense, see him as God, but on the other, to see him in his humanity as man. Some people conclude, well, it's 50-50. No, it's not 50-50. 
Jesus Christ is 100% God, of the very essence of God. But he is also 100% human, a man. Scripture tells us about that because he hungered, he thirsted, he knew what rejection was, he knew pain. And you're going to hear me say this all the way through. One of the biggest excuses we use, especially men, to do what we do in sin is that we simply conclude, I'm not Jesus. I'm not God. And that's true. You're not. But you have the same spirit that was in Jesus and empowered Jesus living and dwelling in you if you have truly received the Lord Jesus Christ. What part did the Holy Spirit play in the life of Jesus? Every area of his life. Every area of his life. All that we read about in Scripture, oftentimes we do not see the word Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is there constantly with Jesus using his power now catch this not the power of Jesus but the power of the Holy Spirit is what we see Jesus Christ demonstrating for all of us Now, the Holy Spirit is involved in everything, in every part of the life of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is involved. From birth to where we see him at 12 years old, in the temple with the scribes and the Pharisees, teaching, listening, and answering. And again, at 30 years old. Let's conclude one thing, that the Holy Spirit has always existed. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 with me. He just didn't come on the scene in Old Testament as a force or New Testament as a spirit for the believers, the Holy Spirit has always existed with God. And that's one of those puzzling parts that we can't figure out, but we believe it by faith. That God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, those three are one. 
and yet have different functions that we see in Scripture. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Now this could have totally been left out, but it's here. Who is not here? Who is not mentioned in one sense, but is present? And we know that he's present from the book of Colossians, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what nothing made that was made, that was made without him. Nothing. And all things was created by him and what? For him. He's not mentioned. What's mentioned is the creation, but Jesus is not mentioned. God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the earth, over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God, catch that now, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Very beginning. Holy Spirit's there. Turn with me to Luke now. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. Luke chapter 1. I think I'm there. And verse, I say 35. The angel answered. Who is he answering? He's answering Mary. This is the story. An angel speaking to Mary about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now what I want you to do, we can't explain what the Holy Spirit did. But what we do know, because the Holy Spirit came over Mary, something took place. Now I want to take you back to Psalms 139 and see if we can see what the Holy Spirit may have done. Psalms 139. Come on down into verse 13. As we go over in the Hebrews, we're going to understand something, that Jesus Christ was made in the likeness of his brethren. Who's that? That's us. He was made in our likeness. Now I want you to hear what God says he does in the womb of a mother of a woman. He says in verse 13, For you created my inner most being. You knitted me together in my mother's what? God formulates this human body while we're in our mother's womb. Even identical twins can be told apart or seen as different. 
because there is something different, even though, boy, we call them identical twins, there is something, something different. For every one of us, there is something different. Only God could have done what God has done. I don't care where you go in the world. You won't find another person that exactly looks like you. Oftentimes, James is called Pastor Brown. And we played a joke on a woman at Calhoun's funeral home. She went up to James saying, Pastor Brown, Pastor Brown. And James told her the truth. I'm not Pastor Brown. Pastor Brown's standing over there. She come running over to me, Pastor Brown, Pastor Brown. I said, I'm not Pastor Brown. Pastor Brown, right back over there, the one you was talking to. (laughs) And she went back. You won't find another person like you. Why? God is the one who formed you, shaped you, gave you your futures and everything that looked like you just to you. You won't find another you anywhere on planet Earth here. Isn't that something? And who could do that but an artist would have a hard time finding something else to draw if it was not for the creation of God. Think about that. An artist can really only draw what he has seen. Your imagination only goes so far. But for the billions and billions and billions of people that God has created with all the different complexions, it's something. And here comes this Jesus and the Holy Spirit hovers over Mary in a sense and forms this body that God himself is now going to live in. Didn't make him the most handsome person in the world. Didn't make him the most masculine person in the world. But created a body for him. And that's why the scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit would hover over Mary. And I want to suggest to you what he did. He formed that body in which the person of God was going to dwell in. And that body would come forth that we might see this person that we call Jesus. Now, is Jesus, if Jesus is our example, should not he also be our example in dependency on the Holy Spirit? 
our dependency on the Holy Spirit. I'm guilty of this also. I love to build things. I love to work on things. And I understand there's so much I can do. But there's times I have to ask God to help me. And he does. God allows us to use the talents and the abilities that he's given unto us. But they all fall short at some place and we all have to ask the Lord. Lord, help me. Now the question is, what do those do who don't know the Lord? Well, they're running around seeking from somebody to gain some more knowledge. But if you know the Lord, all you have to do is say, help me, Lord. Because the scripture says he's an ever-present helper. He's right there. Now, what we need to understand, no ministry can be performed or done for the glory of God without the Holy Spirit. Men can do a lot of things. We can do a lot of programs, we can do a lot of this, and we can do a lot of that. But when it goes into the hands of the Holy Spirit, it has a different effect in the lives of people. It is totally different when the Holy Spirit is in charge of it, rather than man being in charge of it. Go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. Matthew chapter 3. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. On who? On the Holy Spirit. He's lighting on the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, Jesus' ministry doesn't start. Now, Jesus has been there from the time he's in the womb, the Holy Spirit's been there since the time Jesus was in the womb. He's there when he is in the temple at 12 years old. So we go from being birth, solid years, 12 years old. His parents, what it allows us to know, his parents took him up to the temple for he himself can gain knowledge. What kind of knowledge? This so forth human knowledge of this religion called Judaism. And the scripture tells us that he grew in favor with man and God. What most of us as Christians don't understand, there's growing. 
We think, boy, I'm 20, I'm 18, I'm this, I've said the Lord's Prayer, I've asked him to forgive me, come into my heart, and that ends it. That's just the beginning. Look at it as your first day on the job. You got the job, but now you got to do what? Show up. And for the rest of your life, in a sense, you are now learning that job. Because that job is going to change every now and then, and you have to learn. In Christianity, there, there's that continuous learning that people don't want to adhere to. The issue is I'm saved, and we're going to talk about that too. Because if you're really saved, you're going to really want to learn. You're going to really want to learn. Why? Because Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And it all don't come at one time. You're growing. You're gathering knowledge of the one you're saying you believe in. So it's a constant continuation of growing in Christ. One of the worst things that has happened in America. I asked the men to give me some topics as we meet on third Sunday in the evening. And a gentleman called me this week and he said, Pastor, I thought about the topic and I've heard something and I want to pass it on to you. You think we can study this? Generational fatherlessness. I had to think on that myself. Generational fatherlessness. And what he's asking is, in one sense, the way I interpret was, what happens to a society that continues to have children or women having children without the father being present, what is going to be the outcome of a society generation after generation after generation that don't have a father image in their life? And I'm still thinking about it. And I got to read up on it more. But there's something that I always share when I do a wedding. And those of you who have been at a wedding or marriage that I perform, I always have a little challenge to the man before the woman ever comes in. I call it his, his last chance to run. Before she comes in. That he should know he is the priest of his home, not the pastor, not elders, not deacons. He is the spiritual leader of his home. A lot of men don't even see that. In Corinthians it says to the wife, if you want to know something, go ask your husband. Then scripture tells us for a pastor, for a pastor to be qualified to pastor, 
he must be able to prove and show that he runs his home well. If he doesn't run his own household well, how can he run the house of God? That men are priests, and one of the things that Satan has destroyed in our society are men who really love the Lord Jesus Christ and are willing to really be the priest of their home. Now, what's the definition of a priest? A servant. That he serves his wife, his children well in every area. Spiritual knowledge, worldly knowledge, finances, and on down through. Second thing, he's a provider. A provider always means responsibility. That he's willing to shoulder the responsibility. Men are willing to father children but not take on responsibility of raising children. And then thirdly, he's the protector. He protects his wife, his family. He's the umbrella for them in the rain, in the storm, that they don't get wet. He might get wet. She doesn't. He might get wet, but the children don't. He's the protector. And we forget, or we have allowed those areas of responsibility to somehow drift away from us. But the word brings us back to it. And Christ is that example to us. And he instructs us to love our wives or our families as we love the church. But if you don't really love the church, you are not really loving your family. Ministry is always performed in the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot live the Christian life. You can't be the godly husband, the godly wife, the godly child. You can't be that without the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And even with Jesus at 30 years old, the Holy Spirit, in one sense for John, comes publicly as a form of a dove. He consecrates himself. He dedicates himself to this ministry. Now, in John 3, 5, 8, you are not saved and you need to understand this. Because Jesus really helps us to see clearly what is being said. Go to John chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. A lot of people are saying that they're saved, they're saved, they're saved. The Lord says to those who come to him and say, Lord, didn't we do this, didn't we do that? And Jesus says, I know you not. Because salvation goes much deeper than what you just do. 
See, I'm not going to run around the house to house and try to spy on you to see if you are really living a godly life. See what time you come in on Friday night or Saturday night. Uh, I'm not going to try to keep up with you. Uh, It's not my job to chase after anybody and get them to hear or to listen to the word of God. Young men that I was doing a Bible study with, um, girlfriend came to me and just said, Pastor, he wants to continue the Bible study with you. Because I told him when I left, if you want me to come back, you let me know. Um, she said he got six months to do. And then he want to pick up the Bible study. Well, most of you understand what six months to do. He's going to be locked down, locked up for about six months. But then he wants to pick back up. Nobody can make you, force you, corral you into being a Christian. Many of you know that I like historical type films. And I was watching Red Band. Red Band is a historical figure. But he was written out of Christianity, out of the history books of Christianity. He was written out because he went against Christianity, because Christians came into his village and were going to make everybody be baptized and be a Christian. You cannot force people into following Jesus. If we do it, it's not a sincerity of the heart, nor is it a work of the Holy Spirit. It is the desire of the individual who desires to know Jesus Christ that wants to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn. It is the desire of the person who looks in the mirror and says to that person in the mirror, you need to change, but I have not the power to change myself. And they understand the need of having Jesus and the Holy Spirit in their life. Trying to make some rule or force you or cause you to do something that is outside your volitional will, will not work. Because it is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of those who say they believe. My children, when they worked at McDonald's, I shared with them, you can work, but you cannot use God's time. So you tell the manager, you cannot be in to McDonald's until after 1 o'clock. When my son wanted to play football at Firestone, 
You can play football. And I told him, Gus, Wednesday night is prayer night, not practice night, prayer night. And I had to go talk to the coach. And I told the coach, Wednesday night is not practice night for Gus. That's prayer night. He got four of the days during the week to practice football. But on Wednesday night, is prayer night. The person that wants to learn also has to practice what they're learning. For me to preach, I still at times go down in my basement by myself and I preach my message before I come here. I may preach a message three or four times while I'm out here working, while I'm in my office, while I'm in my car. I'm preaching that message to myself. Because to be able to really perform well or do well, you have to practice. You have to practice. And more than that, you got to allow God to ingrain it in you that it flows through you. John chapter 3, 5 through 8. Listen to what he says to Nicodemus. Understanding Nicodemus is a very religious person. Nicodemus is a scholar. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. But he says to him, verse 5, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the Spirit. Two interpretations of water. One is baptism. The other is the water that breaks before birth, human birth, comes forth. And is recognizing, I believe, the human birth. And then is recognizing the spiritual birth. Because the text is going to talk about those two births. And he says, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water, he's a human being, and the spirit, and of the spirit. Takes both. Now, you can be born human and never enter the kingdom of God. Why? You have never been born of the spirit. He is born of water and the Spirit. Now listen to what the next statement makes in verse 6. Flesh gives birth to what? Flesh. Humanity can only give birth to humanity. Humanity can only encourage humanity. Humanity can only pass on the knowledge of humanity. Humanity is limited when it comes to the spiritual things. We try to blend the two of them so closely together that somehow we just say, okay, this is okay. That's a, I'm wondering sometimes, why is it that Christians are not 
sensitive to sin. Now understand, I sin, but I ask for repentance too, very quickly. I, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Because I recognize who I have sinned against. In the littlest thing, But we have come to a place that we celebrate sin. Most of our heroes are people who what? Sin constantly. It's hard to watch Grammy Awards anymore. Just the way the people talk, profanity, dress, Many things. We accept sin. I love my grandchildren. I do not accept their life style. Understand that? I love them. And I'm limited on what I can do for them because I am a steward of God's wealth, not Gus Brown's wealth. So I'm limited on what I can do even financially. And sometimes I would like to do more, but I cannot do more because I will not support sin. And he says, unless one is born of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. If one is truly born again, you don't have to chase them down to be doing this, doing that, doing that. There is a desire and the Spirit will teach them, show them what they are to do, how they are to do it. He's the motivator. He's the cheerleader. He's the one who empowers them. Not me, not you, not the elder, not the Sunday school teacher, but the Spirit of God that dwells in them if they are truly born again. And we have disconnected this person, the Holy Spirit, from this work of salvation in our lives. Now, he goes on and he says, because I want to bring out this point. He says, you must, in verse 7, he says, you should not be surprised at my sayings. You must be born again. The wind bloweth wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, we don't know really where the wind comes from, even though we say it's blowing out of the west, it's blowing from the east, it's blowing. We really don't know its beginning. But what is it that you see about the wind? You see the effects of it. You see the effects of it. 
If a person who says they are saved are truly saved, you should see some effects of the working of the Holy Spirit in their life. You should see the effects of it. Let me ask you this. Do you see the effects of a person who has graduated from college different than what you see the effects of someone who only went to the fifth grade? Can you see that? Can you see the effects of someone who has an abundance of wealth and somebody who doesn't? Can you see the effects of how they live? Can you see the effects, and we're losing this, of some man or some woman who understands what manners and self-respect is from someone who has no manners or self-respect? Can you see the difference? If you can see that, why is it we don't see the difference between the person who is filled with the Spirit and the person who is not? The person being led by the Spirit and the person who is not. Why is that? We can see all these other things. The main reason is this. We pay attention to these earthly things, but pay very little attention to spiritual things. Because the scripture says, you can see the effects. You can see the effects of a windy day when the leaves leaves are all down or limbs are broken off your tree. You see the effects of the wind or when the wind is torn the roof off of how you see the effects a person who has the spirit of God, you ought to see the effects in their life. Not just the worldliness of their life. And I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Now, at 30 years of age, something happened. Well, I wish we could close, slow down time. At Jesus' baptism, something really took place. We just baptize, so we say it's an ordinance of the church. And we take people through baptism. The one young man that came up received the fellowship. Right? One of the things he kept bringing up, he wanted to be baptized, he wanted to be baptized. My question, or my answer to him was this. Let's take one step at a time. I want to see you walk before we baptize you. I want to see a walk that you really love the Lord. And you understand when you are baptized, you are willing to die to yourself, come out of that water, and say you're ready to live for Jesus. 
That's what baptism is really saying. Dying to self, arising in a new life with Jesus Christ and following him. Now, Jesus, 30 years old, why didn't he start ministry at 10 years old, 20 years old? How much more could he have done, maybe? But scripture gives us at 30 years old. But at his baptism, Jesus, in a sense, consecrated himself to die to himself and to live for his Father. Therefore, he could say, I come not to do what? My will, but the will of my Father. He consecrates himself to the ministry. Now, one of the things that show us in Scripture that he takes a complete change. As coming up, he was known as the carpenter. He leaves that skill, that trade, or whatever that work was as a carpenter and goes into what his father's will for the next three years of serving people and teaching the word of God. He had to die in a sense twice. The baptism, he's dying to the flesh. He's dying to himself as a human being. But before he ever took on flesh, he had to die to himself as being the person of God. Go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Philippians 2, verse 6. He says, Who being in the very nature or the very essence of God, or whatever makes up God, Jesus is. Being in the very nature of God, did not consider it did not consider equality with God something to grasp. Let's talk about that just for a moment. I know Elaine is my wife. Guess what? I don't have to lock her up at 444 South Point's Path to secure her as my wife. I don't have to take total dominance over her to know that she is my wife. Where do I know that at? In here. In here. Jesus always knew who he was. And when you know who you are, you don't have to grasp at trying to be something else other than who you are. Because you know who you are and you build on that. 
but you're not trying to be somebody else. He knew who he was, who he is. He's God. But he took on this human flesh. He took on this human body. And in doing so, he says, but made himself nothing. He emptied himself in a sense of God by simply saying, I'm not going to use any godly powers while I am in this flesh. Well, your mind will go very quick. He calmed the storms. He, he calmed the wind. He raised the dead. He did that. What I'm trying to say to you is that all that he did, he did it not in his power. He did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's a reason behind that. If he would have done it in his power, if he would have done it in his strength, you and I would have the excuse that we use, I'm not Jesus, I'm not God. But because you've got the same spirit that he has, and he says in Romans 8, if you have not the spirit of him, you are none of his. But because you have the spirit of God in you, it's amazing of what you can do. If you are dependent on the Holy Spirit and not on but on the Holy Spirit. He takes away our excuse for our inabilities. And he has given us the Holy Spirit that we have the ability to do whatever he asks us to do. We're going to pick up next week because I'm trying to push on and I better stop here. But we'll pick up next week because what I want you to see is he put on humanity. But by putting on humanity, when we get into the temptations that follow the baptism, not one time does he use his own power? And we want to be able to see that. We want to be able to see he put on humanity. That he's just like we are. He was hungry. He was thirsty. And he had to depend on the Holy Spirit for the power that he used. If you're going to live the Christian life, the Christ-like life, if you're going to live where God wants you to live, if you want to perform in the way God wants you to perform, you cannot depend on the flesh. You have to be able to depend upon the Spirit. I'm reading the book of uh, this Korean, and he kind of changed my mind on something. I've been praying, Lord, heal this leg, heal this leg. And he took me to Mark 11. And the issue is, the Lord says, you have what you have faith to believe. But in his book, he says, 
at some point, stop asking God to do something and start believing God has already done it. So what I'm starting to say to myself now, thank you, Lord, for healing it. Thank you, Lord, for healing it. Thank you, Lord, for healing it. I've asked him. He said I can ask him anything. Now I need to teach myself to say, thank you for what you've already done, Lord. And everything in life, we need to come to that point. It's not about how I'm feeling per se, but I thank him for his promise of what he said he would do. And what he does, he does it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for ministering to us. Thank you for helping us to understand. Would you, in weeks to come, make it very clear to us the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because, Lord, we need him. The reason that as Christians we are so weak and so gullible and so troubled is because we have not taught ourselves to hear the Holy Spirit speaking. Even when we're reading your word, we're reading it with the mind, O oh God, of humanity. Help us, Lord, to read your word while we're listening to your Holy Spirit, who is the author of your word. And Lord, we'll give you praise and give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As we prepare for the communion, elders, would you come? Men, would you come?